Hello there. Um, welcome to SITREP, BFBS Radio's defence discussion on issues for you every week. I'm Christopher Lee, and Mary's in the hut, and you, you are very welcome. Today we're into word games, the games famous military leaders have played with words to inspire troops, indeed nations. We all know famous ones like fight them on the beaches, never in the history of so many, etc. But are words that valuable? The pep talk, remember, of a commander before a tricky firefight. Lieutenant Colonel Tim Collins at the start of the 2003 Iraq War. George Bush thought it was so good, he put it on his Oval Office wall. Inspiring, are they? Or they're simply empty words by a bunch of blackadders who weren't going over the top end anyway. With me at the Sitret Round Table, the naval historian Professor Eric Grove, proving the silent service doesn't have does have quite a lot to say for itself. The foreign correspondent Christopher Walker, who spent a lifetime listening to lies, and from them writing the truth, of course, for his newspaper, The Times. The Russian and East European scholar Dr. Marty McCauley will spend his academic life deciphering Russian lies and the truths behind them. And the person who has inspired this programme today, Royal Marine Major General and Military Historian Julian Thompson, who's just published a book. The title, Julian, tells, tells it all. Uh, Call to Arms. Where do you get the title from? In discussion with the publisher, originally it was going to be inspired to battle. Uh, and then I realised that some of the talks or speeches were not going to necessarily be for any particular battle. And I also wanted to include the sort of asides that people make, like retreat hell we just got here, or if you hang about <laughs> on this beach any longer you're going to be dead, and, uh, and things like that. And it, so that I didn't want to limit it to set speeches. And the, I mean, the title is the really giveaway, isn't it? The great military speeches from ancient Greece to the modern world. Um, I don't know how much modern we are in the world today, apart from ancient Greece. But I mean, the commanders simply had the same message, didn't they? They needed to inspire. Commanders needed to inspire. And they needed to get the message across. And it's actually quite interesting to think to work out how Alexander got his message across to so many people. And I suspect he actually sort of held what we would call an O group gave an inspiring speech, and that was then transmitted yeah. uh, around uh, to the others. And we actually know quite a lot about what he said, because Alexander was a great pu self-publicist and made quite certain that people wrote down when what he? he said. When we talk 300 about? years, 300 BC? Yeah. yeah. He, he must have been very formidable, because he presumably would have spoken, spoken in Greek, and that his army consisted of Persians and Macedonians and others. How did he actually communicate? There must have been a myriad of languages that he spoke. How did he actually get his commands through? Well, I'm sure what he did was he gave a speech which was then repeated in the right language to the various bodies of troops. If you think the actual practicality of sitting on a horse trying to address 20,000 people without the benefit of modern um, uh, you know, broadcasting mm. aids... No tannoys, no, no public tannoys, You'd have to do it to a, a little group who'd then have to pass the message across, I think. Yes, I quite like the, uh, the idea that a lot of these speeches, um, you could put them in modern... Settings. I mean, Caesar's speech, um, you know, our enemies, crimes, summonses. Um, you know, that could have been George Bush, couldn't it, in 2003? Yes, because Caesar, of course, was a politician as well. And he'd been a politician um, in, in the Roman system. It was very normal to go through a political career first and then become a general later. Yeah. Um, bring in the naval historian, yes. Eric Grove. I mean, Nelson... England expects. expects yes. Um, I mean, it is that thing that uh, I heard somebody just a month ago uh, in July, and he was talking about 
the effects of casualties in, in Afghanistan. And he said, but we're expected to do our duty. He was 18 years old. Well, he's right. I mean, that's a very interesting, interesting signal because, as Nelson put it when he, when he uh, 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 had the idea, let's have a signal to amuse the fleet. And it is a joke. Was well, it amuse in the sense of the word we use it? I no? think so, yes, because it always seems to me it was, in a sense, a joke. He was saying, saying to them, look, I've got this wonderful new coding system which, could, which will allow me to tell you to do each ship or in flags. great... Flags, yes, but mm. a, a new coding system for flags. And I could use it to micromanage, as we would now say, this battle. But what did I'm he not say? Every, that he expected everyone to do their duty. And this he, day. And, and he knew... England expects that every man will do his duty. And he, that reflected the fact he knew that all his captains knew exactly what they had to do. They didn't have to be told what to do. All he had to say was, do your duty, and then he raised his standard signal, close action. Right. Uh, Christopher Walker, a great signal, wasn't it? It was, it was a great a Wonderful start. signal. It uh, doesn't matter if you don't remember the words, you know it was a great signal. <laughs> and you know, as Julian was saying, it's not only speeches. The signal probably has an effect as, as many a speech. And I'm sure when he was writing this, I don't know how long he spent at it, but I thought what fascinated me uh, about the collection was how many certain themes came up again and again. It didn't matter which century or which country you were in. Be appealing to God... Uh, the blackmail of, uh, if you want to go any... home, go home yeah. now, but don't stay around with me. And Francis Drake saying, when you go home, I'll find you on the way home and do you anyway. <laughs> and the third one was, uh, particularly noticed, anti-mercenaries. When you didn't like a guy, and it was Alexander who said, you know, you've got Alexander, they've got Darius, you know. And they just, rubbishing the other side, lackeys they were often called by the yep. speakers. There's one other, theme, one other thing which is, uh, uh, if, if in fact the war is going badly, you have to mobilise not only a military, you have to mobilise the civilian population as well. And this scheme comes up. And the master of all that, I would argue, was Joseph uh, Goebbels. And his famous... Uh, I have to tell, because some people honestly won't know when... He was the Nazi propaganda yeah. minister. He doesn't appear in the book, And he doesn't appear there. Yeah. And I think he made the greatest mobilisation speech of the 20th century, Volt ihr in totalen Krieg. Do you want total war? Just after Stalingrad, which was a devastating blow. Uh, and so what year was that? 1943. And uh, Albert Speer, who was the armaments minister, said afterwards, uh, I've never heard a speech uh, like that. Uh, he is the master rabble-rouser. He can bring uh, uh, an audience, a huge audience, military and civilians, up to a pitch of fanaticism that I'd never experienced before. N and then you have mobilisation. Now, you have to, when you're losing, you have to mobilise, and you must get the civilian population behind you, and you must say everyone has to make a sacrifice. Because lucky he was there, because the entry from Hitler is a pathetic, a uh, lot of drivel. And is, yes, I yes. love the phrase Julian used about it, that ghastly man. You know, no, All he was on about was international jury the whole time. And it got worse, actually. Mm. I mean, it, it's interesting that Goebbels becomes much more important as the war goes badly. Hitler begins mm. to hide away. Mm. You yes. don't get Hitler making great speeches towards the end of the war. Goebbels is the man who is keeping civilian morale up, but, as but, Martin uh, says, very accurately. But Hitler, Hitler made many great speeches. You have to hear him speaking. The words here don't really give an impact. No, Goebbels' is, speech... You can, I, can I just break in here, because I want to go back to the list. You'll hear a lot of paper shuffling, because I'm going to be looking through the book itself... Um, and so we'll be turning pages, call to arms. Um, the one thing that struck me 
right the way through, and I want to start with Alexander the, uh, Alexander the Great, is how much the characters themselves have survived in our imagination. Um, if somebody said to me, we were talking about Nazism, if you somebody said to me, well, Goebbels' speech too, or Hitler's speech, I wouldn't have a clue what Hitler or Goebbels ever said. Perhaps I was on the wrong side. Well, I wasn't on the wrong side. Perhaps my father was on the wrong side. But that is the thing about, say, um, Caesar, uh, about uh, Elizabeth I. There are some great speeches mm. which we still remember. They said something. These people were great. Um, and to some extent, they were great not just because of what they did, there's a key factor mm. here. Well, not only the one, English ones. Yes, one of the yeah. reasons why Elizabeth I is great is because of Shakespeare, and English yes. history is great because of Shakespeare. You learn that at school. The reason why Caesar is so famous is because he read the Gallic War. Anybody who's done Latin starts off, uh, yeah. what is it, in um, Europa, um, in Thrace Parties, Divisa Est, as he starts off the Gaul. Gaul, Gaul. Mm. Gaul Thrace Parties. Everyone knows that, so therefore that's, at the age of 7, 8, 9, 10, it's in your mind, and it stays there for life. It's a terrible thing, uh, Martin, there are not that many are doing Latin nowadays. Yeah, that's the problem. Mm. Caesar, Caesar is yeah. in your mind for the rest of your life. OK, listen, uh, Julian, I want you to start with the guy at the front, um, uh, brilliantly illustrated, and this is a wonderful uh, plate of a statue uh, of him, and also a picture of him uh, defeating Darius, Darius the Third, mm -hmm. uh, the Persian, at the Battle of Isos, or Isos, is it? I yeah. thought it was Isos. I thought it was the the short Greek. What's it? Um, on a mosaic, and it was found in Pompeii, which of course we all know what happened to Pompeii. Now, tell me, why was he called Alexander the Great for a start? Well, because he was a, a very great soldier, and because uh, by the age of 26, he'd conquered a great deal of, uh, he'd conquered the greatest empire the world had seen up to that time. It's uh, extraordinary. And it was quite the extraordinary. And, and he was an inspirational leader. He was always leading from the front and was wounded several times. For example, in India, he jumped over a wall and suddenly found the rest of his army with the other side of the wall and he was having to hold off um, the enemy by himself until he was joined by some of his companions. And he was wounded several times. And he was a great inspirational leader. But the, the, the problem was that uh, he didn't know where to stop. He was a soldier... And he'd, he'd go, going from Greece to India was absolutely phenomenal. The downside is he destroyed. Which is rather like Napoleon. He wanted to do. The he same didn't thing. know where to stop either. Mm. And the, the downside is he destroyed the great Persian culture, and Persian cities and so on. So there's a downside, yes. and uh, it's amazing that today Alexander, uh, in the public imagination, is so positive. Mm. And yes, Julian could actually, very... could actually say you could actually draw a comparison between him and Hitler. You could say he was a pretty unpleasant mm. guy. Uh, he was quite. Mm. He, he, he used to, in the he used to lose his temper your, and, yes. and, and uh, he used to get uh, drunk. But you make out in your book, and a number of times, and you, I think your last book was called Dunkirk Retreat to Victory. You make out a very interesting point uh, that a really good commander has to know when to retreat. Yes, as, as well as, as to go as forward, did. and quite obviously Alexander or, yeah. didn't he know did, when he didn't. to stop. No, he didn't. He didn't no, know and that was his. Uh, he, he would have ended up in China had he had the chance. Listen, yes. my, my, let's just quote before the Battle of Issus. Yes, because I think it's actually wonderful that opening thing you've got here, and I can hear the Tim Collinses of this world, uh, or whichever other colonel or general or whatever that was about to sort of. Uh, and spend more time with his family, uh, saying, Remember that already danger has often threatened you, and you have looked it triumphantly in the face. 
This time the struggle will be between a victorious army and an enemy already once vanquished. Now, mm. you cannot say, I'm not going to this one, Gov, you know, find somebody else to do it. That, those are inspiring words, aren't they, Christopher? Yes, and he, you've, you've hit the nail on the head as well. It's, he's speaking to the right people. Julian constantly makes the point that not every speech is just delivered to the same audience and the really great speakers and the great inspirers are those who choose the right words for the right audience those were people obviously as you say waiting to go with him in the field where you've had for instance other speeches that have been made I think perhaps General Patton's last uh, um, remarks to West Point as he was retiring they weren't to inspire Inspire people forward. General MacArthur. Oh, was it General MacArthur? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't to inspire people forward. They, uh, you know, they were a reminiscence. But here, with Alexander, as you say, you can, you can feel the, the whole thing. And, and those words could have been spoken, you know, by a different, uh, a great man. Any uh, in the last but few years. Is it years? true that the great speeches arise when you are facing defeat? when you're facing an enemy which is larger than yourself uh, and you then have to inspire, rally your people. If you've got an army of a million against 100,000, you don't need a great speech. You just say, go at them, we're going to beat them. But if you, if you are 100,000 and the other half a million, you really need a speech because they, they all, your people all fear death, so therefore you need well, a very listen, powerful Well, listen, there's commander. a bit when they fear death and he says, uh, my countrymen, you are sick for home, so be it. I shall make no attempt to check your longing to return. Go whither you will, I shall not hinder you. You're too right, he would. But if you go, you must. There is one thing I would have you understand, what I have done for you and in what coin you will have repaid me. I think well, I find stuff, that particularly interesting because you have this extended section on how that, that bit, because there's an extended section on how, he's, how he... He was facing a mutiny mm. and how he dealt mm. with it. Sure. And as you say, he was appealing to their honour. Oh, OK, you want to go home? OK, go home. Yeah, then. see yeah. if I can. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then he started recruiting Persians to replace them, and they really didn't like that. He also made a great reference to the, you know, that goes on through up to modern days, the buddy system. And he said, you must remember upon the conduct of each of you depends the fate of all. Uh, bonding them together. This this comes through. It's there are so many th- themes. You know there aren't there a number of themes. Yeah, there are so yeah, many. Yeah. The same modern themes, themes aren't there? Yeah. Tim yeah. Collins, as we spoke yeah, about, this, this the, is, the last speech in the book, the one mm. you did in the Iraq yeah, War. This is pic- I mean, frankly, he's obviously done his homework. Mm. This is picked up later by the Romans, the way the Romans fought, and I suspect that they learnt. Hmm. The Romans learnt from Alexander. Yeah. Well, learned everything from it's the Greeks. It's a learning process. Tell me about Han and tell me. Uh, you don't agree, do you? I mean, what the classes is with, I forgot that. <laughs> Tell me about Hannibal. Um, I've always reckoned Hannibal was elephants. Um, and I, I, uh, <laughs> He says, we've nothing left in the world but what we can win with our swords. Um, Therefore, I mean, he failed because he failed yes. as a politician. He, he, should a politician. Have, he should have taken Rome. He was a great military leader. Yeah. But unfortunately, he had no political mm. imagination, and mm. that was a downfall. Yeah. Yes. In fact, he didn't win because of elephants, actually. He won the great battle of Cannae, was, was won because the two uh, Roman generals uh, against him uh, screwed up, actually. Mm. And he was one of the first uh, uh, who ended up committing suicide at the end of his life. 
Did he? Uh, yes. yes, rather than yes, in Syria, rather, rather than, than rather than take that yeah, yeah, he was in exile comes from exile to Syria, yes. and then and then it took uh, poison. He took poison. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Do we know what poison he took? Uh, I just wondered. We know it wasn't an asp. No, it wasn't an asp. It wasn't an asp. Listen, now, the other thing, I mean, we're not pressing on quickly here (laughs) deliberately, but there are a considerable number of people in this book. Um, Julius Caesar, you see, for most people in in the United Kingdom, Caesar is all about sort of 50-odd BC and the invasion... Um, or the, the beginnings of the yes, yes, or, or that, whatever Shakespeare could have put together on him. Um, but the other thing is, he inspired, or something he did, has inspired a, a political phrase, and that's crossing the Rubicon. Yes, yes. Now, tell me, Eric. Yes. Tell me the origin of this phrase, crossing the Rubicon, and what it means. The Rubicon today. was a river. Right. Is a river. Is a river. It yeah. is. The, it. But in it in Roman times, it was the boundary. If memory serves me correctly, between Gaul and the and the sort of the home Roman territories, and Caesar was not. Supposed, Where is it? It's in northwest. North Italy. Is it? The northwest of Italy. Yeah. Yes, and um, officially. Uh, Generals like Caesar were not allowed to cross it with their army for obvious reasons, because they would be bringing force to bear against Rome itself. Caesar decided the time had come for his coup, so therefore he crossed it with his army. So it was a big decision. It it was yes. He was he was basically starting a Roman Mm. civil war, thirteen years it lasted, which he would be pretty sure he would win, and he eventually did. Mm. Yes. But Um, it's amazing how that has gone into the phrase. Yes, and people use it in a slightly different way. I mean, Eric's, as you'd expect, exactly right, but I'm sure that a lot of people who use it haven't the slightest idea that that's how it came to be. Yeah. You know about rivers and Gaul. And you've things. crossed a boundary, yeah. in other crossed words. Boundary. I mean, it's just, you know, an angry father saying to a son, you've crossed the Rubicon, my boy, by doing that or something, without thinking where it actually came from. And it's in all our minds, I bet. <coughs> we he all was dis- totally disobeying the, the yes. rule the by Senate. doing so. Yes. He, he, he was, in fact, saying to the Senate, I'm going to take power. Oh, yeah. And yes. the die is cast. <laughs> Once you've cast. The, there's yeah. no going back on the Rubicon. Well, uh, I mean, the, the point <laughs> being, surely, was that, uh, I mean, he, he was, he'd been called, he'd been summoned to Rome, but told to leave his army. Yes, back, 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 right. back in front, yeah, back uh, in Gaul. Yes. You, know, yeah. you, you come, but leave the boys behind. <laughs> yes. well, that, from a civil government, that was very, very sensi- uh, sensible. Um, because once you yeah. had an army, if you took an army into Rome, yes. uh, obviously the army would take over. Yes, exactly. Tell me, um, when you came to um, Caesar, a lot about him? A lot of things that he said? Well, there are, but of course the, the main source are his own commentaries. Um, mm. There's not a lot actually reported about what he's said other than what he says. Because, of course, he writes in the third person, he? writes in the third person. He writes in the third person. Caesar does this. Caesar does this. Caesar went and and inspired... A bit like the Queen. But he mentions his own names, you say, 700 times in two accounts. (laughs) Yes. He's the sort of... Journalism, but he was a brilliant writer. Sort of, I went to the front, I nearly saw a bullet. You know, five yeah. million other people That's died. That's why he wanted the taxi driver told me. He was, a great, he was <laughs> yes. a great, great writer. I mean, he, he wrote very well, mm. right? He was a he was a he, I mean, he, survived, has it? I'm presuming. Oh, it yes, has. yes. Where yes. is it? Do you know? Oh, I did, Caesar, I did Caesar and Vercingetorix at school. Mm. Yes, the Gallic Wars. I mean, it's one of these, it is quite literally a classic, yeah. 
Tell me, Julian, when you did this, did you, I mean, read a lot that you actually threw away, not to be included? As Christopher said, there's yeah. so many names oh, in yes, the book. But yes, yes, so yes. Many. I mean, I just had too much, too, too many words. What was your absolute, you know, do you have a sort of rule for yourself that, that why this one is worth going in and that one isn't? Apart was, from the fact it's a very famous name. Well, in church, it was, it was sometimes in. you get a famous chap who there's not much recorded about what he said. Hmm. I mean, for example, Cunningham, who I, I would like to have put much more in, was a man of very few words. That's right. Uh, and, and, and the things that he said there were not many. I'd love to have had more from Cunningham. Mm. Uh, others say quite a lot, and particularly mm. people like Monty are pu pushing out um, orders of the day, which is how mm. he communicated with troops, as well as talking to them as well. Mm. He put out these orders of the day, which have printed me, know what they said, and, 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 and they're actually rather and fun you, to you, read. And presumably, the further back you go in history, the fewer other sources... Absolutely. Either, ...either destroyed or never recorded. And I'm struck by the fact that you haven't put in any Chinese... You haven't moved into Asia. Perhaps this is a book which it's impossible to, to cover them all. I don't think yeah. the Chinese ever made speeches, though, did they? they only well, there's the famous yes. Sun Tzu. Tzu oh, there? yes, the famous speeches. Yes. 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 Don't start him off, Chris. No, no, no. Yes, we need another uh, one. We need we, another one. We need another one, that, because yeah. if you Second like... book. They yeah. begin, they are ahead of the Europeans. Oh, yes, I mean, they're earlier Arabs. than Caesar. Yes. I didn't know they did speeches, yeah. though. You get... Uh, I mean, they still don't. They, uh, I don't, uh, all I can say is How actually... How do they stir their armies? They write. Oh. Yeah, but he yeah. includes, Julian includes writing. Yes. He, yes. I mean, the point that I thought he also made that was so fascinating was uh, Henry V never said any of this stuff that well, he associated no, with him. No, the interesting thing about that is what he said was written down by this priest yeah. who wrote, I think, called The Deeds of Henry mm -hmm. V, which was written about two or three years afterwards. And I think that... that Shakespeare, in fact, I'm pretty sure, drew on yes, he that he very heavily very much so. in order yeah. to produce his plays. So, it, with a the bit gist of, of license, what he, yeah, yeah, with quite a bit of license, yeah. and the gist of what he said is probably correct, but the wording which is Shakespeare mm. uses is, is, is Shakespeare. Yes, the trouble is, if you, you go back to Julius Caesar, it's not history. In, in Shakespeare, it's not history. No, no. And most people think it is history. No. Well, I mean, yes, and, and, yeah. and Henry, yeah. you mentioned Henry V, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christopher. I mean, Henry V comes under the, uh, the history plays, doesn't it, yeah, as sure. far as Shakespeare's concerned? Yeah. Right, yes. And um, you've got, you had to have, I mean, everybody knows about, actually, I'm not saying everybody knows about Henry V said it, but everybody knows, um, cry God for Harry, England and St George. I mean, yeah. You don't have to be a member of the BNP to know that one. Mm -hmm. no. <laughs> but do people remember that it's Henry V? It's an interesting thing that some of these quotes are more famous even than, than, the, than the person who made them. They think yeah. it's yeah, Lawrence it's Olivier. Close. They think it's <laughs> Lawrence Olivier. And actually, that's an interesting thing because Churchill deliberately asked for a film to be made about Agincourt mm. with Lawrence Olivier taking the lead in 1943 because he recognised that the, the, the British people needed some kind of inspiration before embarking on the great um, invasion in 1944. Normandy, and, and well, the, that's when the film came out. The I Germans think, did, right this, Hitler did the same with Frederick the Great. That's right, but it came out a bit late. And they brought, they brought out all those films in 1944 and 45, glorifying Frederick the Great, okay. so it mobilised the people. May I yeah. make my one contribution to this discussion about Henry V and Winston Churchill? Do you remember? Have you ever seen the film, by the way? Because it's, it's quite often comes yeah, up several it. times. Uh, I several love times. it. Yeah. Battle's fantastic. That's right. Your television's that old, isn't it? <laughs> now listen. Um, <laughs> there is that wonderful thing where the, where the arrows go off. Yes. Yes. And can you remember mm. the sound? It goes. That's right. Yes. And yeah. all these arrows mm. going whizzing yeah. off. Do you know how it was done? 
I do, I do. I know it was done. Tell because, us. Well, it was an ancient uh, relative of mine actually worked on the production. It was a series of elastic bands. And if you do that with a series of elastic bands, you get a shlop, and oh. you got the sound. They try to get the sound of all the, the arrows going up. And, of course, there's no point in putting a microphone yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> for the arrows to go past. Uh, but there you are. That's my thing. But uh, it was that time of straining upon the start. The game is a fort. Follow your spirit. And upon this charge, cry. <laughs> Come on, Eric, cry. God, God for Harry, Harry England and St George. Poor old St George. I feel sorry for George. People don't like him now, do they? They want to go back to another patron seat. There was um, one just very quick, fascinating bit with Julian's, I think it's perhaps his own memory. He points out that at, at Agincourt there was this sort of myth that the knights had to be lifted mm. onto their horses yes. by cranes because they were carrying so much weight. But in fact, he says the people in the Falklands, where I believe he did a bit of yomping himself, were actually carrying more, carrying more in yeah. weight. Right, yes. That's very interesting. A knight a yeah. train, uh, who'd been trained since boyhood could actually climb a ladder unaided in armour um, and, cl- and jump onto a horse unaided the in armour. The battle in, as, as Julian points out actually, the, 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 the battle in the film has much more in common mm. actually with the Battle of Cressy than it mm. has with the Battle of Agincourt because the main French attack is, is mounted, whereas the big difference between between Agincourt and Cressy, when the French thought they'd learned the lesson, was that most of the men-at-arms attacked on foot. There was, a, there was a preliminary cavalry charge, but in fact most of the fighting was in was fact on foot. Mm. It was on foot. And they got, and they, and they got into the mud and the... Uh, and then the cavalry. Uh, mm. and, 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 and they were shot down by the archers. In That's the right, and they tripped over the horses, yes. the dead bodies of the horses. And then well, what did Agincourt, as a book now by Bernard Cormor that's been topping the bestsellers, called, why did that become Agincourt? I don't know. I have no idea why no. it became I, that. Probably an anglicisation, Might have been, yeah. 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 Can I um, Can I take us uh, from there to, not very far, to 14, um, uh, 1492, is that right? To uh, 1429, rather. 1429. 1429 and Joan of Arc and, uh, um, and the Maid of Lyon, of Orléans. Yeah. Always struck me that um, we quite liked her. Uh, and yet, Not at the time. we burned her. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> Look at the way Shakespeare's way of expressing her. your affection. <laughs> well, I actually prefer the way Bernard Shaw treats her. Actually. Well, exactly. But it's very mm. interesting to see the difference because Shakespeare treats her as an absolute lunatic, a very nasty piece yes. of work indeed. Mm. Whereas by George Bernard Shaw's time, she's almost a kind mm. of heroine. Well, Bernard Shaw liked her because it showed the difference between Protestants and Catholics, as far as he was concerned. And also, she fought the English too. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, she didn't know she was fighting the English because they weren't English because it was a civil war, wasn't it? Well, there were other other things. I mean, he he makes the point that's the beginnings of nationalism, Mm. I I suppose. Um, In remarkable fact that that people wanted to believe about Joan of Arc, and therefore um, she becomes a huge military of military importance, Mm. lifts the siege does everything, and eventually, as the result, she believes, or so the legend is, she believes that the, uh, but the Burgundians can be beaten, the people from England can, can be, be beaten. beaten. I think it's because, because the people of France and all that part of it were fed up with being occupied by the English and all these chauvachets which went through, which was a, a sort of riding raid where you went through country and you laid waste and, 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 and completely destroyed the crops, and, and people were quite reasonably fed up and wanted the, the English out. Yes. Mm. 
And I'm, now mm. she's a great French national heroine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she clearly, she, she clearly had something. She must have had some kind of charisma about her to, yes. to enable her to persuade the... The um, Dauphin. The Dauphin. Yeah. And to inspire, inspire the forces as well. Well, the Dauphin Ooh. probably able to persuade him because he was an extraordinary... I mean, nobody liked him. They all made him a fool, didn't Ooh. they? And she took him seriously. Yes, but also... And he, he, rejected, he rejected her later. He, mm. he was say, she was saying to him what he wanted to hear. Yeah. Mm. That's very important. Mm. Yes. yes. What about that mm. other... I mean, even more famous woman as far as we're concerned. And this is Elizabeth I. Um, Julian, tell us about why Elizabeth I is in here, because um, we don't see her as a military leader normally. No, she's in here because she's inspiring the troops at Tilbury before mm. the, the Armada is, has come up the channel. And everyone feared the Armada because they feared that they would land and, 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 and the country would be invaded by the Spanish army, which was the most formidable army of its age. And they were Catholics. And they were Catholics, and they would have taken over anyone who was sort of uh, Protestant might have been sent off to, the, to, to be burnt and so on. That's what the, they thought at the time. And she's standing there and saying, I'm going to be your leader and I'm going to be there fighting, though I'm only a woman. And the way she said it, I know yeah. I have but the body yeah. of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart of a king, and of a king of England. I, I, mean, it was I seem to remember stuff. that yeah, 1979, sure. at a famous general election, one Margaret Hilda yeah. uh, Thatcher, <laughs> yeah. not saying exactly that, I mean, she was from St Francis, but with the same yeah. impression that she knew exactly yeah. what she was doing. Yeah. This um, was the speech at Tilbury, wasn't yeah. it? And she was wearing a breastplate, if I remember rightly. Who? Oh, Margaret? No, the, no, the Queen was. <laughs> the Queen <laughs> The Queen not, not Margaret Thatcher, sorry. Margaret Thatcher. No, the, the Queen... Uh, uh, um, Elizabeth I was, in fact, wearing a breastplate. Yeah. She was she wearing arms. She was yes, trying... Sort of. and, and, but of course Do we thing, know that, or is that just I'm the not sure. I, iconography I think, of no, it? No, I think so. I, I think, think she was. I think, there is I think she was. Uh, but, of course, actually, if the Spanish... If Palmer's infantry had landed, they would have made short work of that army. No matter how inspiring they would was a brave man <laughs> who brave... tested whether it was a breastplate yeah, or sure. not. Um, no, I mean, yeah. it, 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 no, that, it was the most it, formidable army of its time, the Spanish army. Do you know, yes, I mean, let, me, let me try... If this is a personal thing, perhaps. Um, when I, when I reread the speech in your book, um, and she says, um, I know I have but the body of a weak and feeble woman, but I have the heart of a king and of a king of England too, and think foul scorn that Palmer or Spain, or any prince of Europe should dare to invade the borders of my realms, for which read Falklands. Ah, yeah. Maybe. It could have been mm. 82, mm. this, couldn't yeah. it? Right. Yes, it could. It was the same sort, yes. Yeah, um, yes. I'm sure that speech didn't go unread in 10 Downing Street Probably at that not. sort of time. And, of course, Were it's you? not no. the troops that make, that make the difference, but the Navy. Navy, yes. yes. Eh? But... <laughs> Yeah. Who wins the Armada? The Navy. Navy yes. yeah, I, I thought, thought it was the, the wind. wind. I what? thought it was the weather. No, yeah, it was the, no wind. the Navy and, in the broadest sense, oh, and the weather together. Actually, yes, but the but the Navy. But but it, of course, but the point is, and I'll come back to this later if I have the chance. It, it's a bit like Mrs. Beaton saying, you know, if you first catch your hair, if you want to invade Britain, you have to cross the sea, and that's usually pretty difficult, not least because mm. of the maritime defences of the country. And 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 Lords My mother's second name is Miranda. Lords and Vincent saying, um, I don't know how the French will come, but I can guarantee you one thing, they won't come by sea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly right. But an interesting thing here is that famous speech. Do we know if she actually wrote it herself or some clever speechwriter put it in her hand? There was somebody 
who knew how to rally the troops. Well, somebody might oh, have written it for her. The equivalent of the man who used to write Thatcher speeches. Do you remember mm. the playwright? Yes. Um, I mean, air. Somebody who knew how to mobilise. Yeah, it might well have been. Might well have been. Well, this is what. When is this? It's fifteen eighty-eight. Yes. Yes. So, who was her secretary in fifteen eighty-eight? It wasn't the elder. um, Was it Bernard? One of the Cecils. Well, it would have to be William because Robert wasn't until much later. So it was one of the Cecils. They're still doing Ooh. it. Cecils, <laughs> no, seriously, the, the Cecils. Crowd. The Cecils are yeah. still writing speeches yeah. for the Tories. So yeah. Mrs. Thatcher <laughs> rang up Lord uh, Salisbury. And well, said, uh, right that speech, your great great grandfather. Well, I hope yes. it wasn't Lord Salisbury because he wasn't. Um, Bobby wasn't in, in good nick at the time. But <laughs> it, it was probably uh, whatever the, um, uh, the the young ones called. Um, yeah. No, it's just it's well, just a thought. Cecil, aren't they? Oh, we, they're all Cecil. Yeah. Well, Cecil, we should add, is the family name, not the name of a... Mm. What was the, the thing we used to say as kids? Cecil was a caterpillar. Or something. No, it's nothing to do with this. I want to tell you what, I want to move on to Oliver Cromwell. Mm-hmm. Um, I mm. remember having to read Oliver Cromwell's uh, speech to Parliament when he said he didn't want to be king. Uh, well, they, you know, the, they wanted him to be king. He had to read it. He went on and on and on. And I found mm. myself... St- sitting there, suddenly saying aloud, come on, Ollie, you know, get it out. I mean, he is arguably one of the most boring people that we've had leading this country, isn't it? Well, I think he had some boring ideas, like banning Christmas and banning football, mm. but he was actually quite an inspiring um, uh, soldier, and, and he understood soldiers. Uh, and he, that was he, the other side of the coin, which, of which his he, religion, which he used as yes, part of his exactly. religion. Yes, exactly, and religion was his great... But, yeah. but he was a very good example of, of um, why, in a sense, generals shouldn't be politicians, though, of course, he was a politician first, mm. yes. but, but somehow he then became a general, and, and the, the, his political acumen, I think, slightly withered away. And his rather wonderful mundane remark, which had a lot of good sense, which was... Uh, aim at their shoelaces. Aim at their shoelaces, And yes. that was, as you pointed out, because a new recruit tends to fire high. high. Mm. So this not only made them laugh, but also mm. it was damn good mm. advice. Mm. Uh, advice. Yeah. And keep your powder on. dry as well. Yes. Yes. Was that him? Was that Cromwell? Yes, yes. put your trust it. in God, my boy. Yes. Keep, keep your powder, powder dry. dry. Because it was raining. Right. I didn't know. <laughs> it was raining. Yes. No, he was... Uh, he, he was... Uh, he was actually quite... Uh, he was almost a sort of chief of the general staff level. Mm. That was his... his and he ruled... He as long as he kept the loyalty of the army, he was yes. fine. I mean, this was a military mm. regime, yeah. uh, this huge army. Uh, that, uh, and, of course, mm. it's because of the legacy of that that the Britain was so suspicious of having a large standing army because armies meant military rule. So sure. let's have amateur officers who buy their mm. commissions. Let's have a, an army that's very much under the social control of the elite. Mm. Absolutely. And haven't we mm. all been sort of tending to be pro-royalist, as you say, this man who banned Christmas and banned everything? Why, we went for the, the royalists at school type of thing, at university. Not my school. They were more well, fun. I mean, didn't... A lot of socialist leaders at my school, we never went for the royalists at all. You went for, amazing. His but he master, makes... Uh, he, Julian, makes out it right. that it's not as, you know, as 
left wing and such no, he certainly wasn't. I mean, he didn't actually he's believe a, in democracy he, as he we understand it. No, no. He, he, he put down the levelers and, yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, it, people who suggested that uh, all, everyone should have a vote. He didn't like that idea at all. No. I mean, well, Cromwell that's, was, that's a, Cromwell that's was that's an why East Anglian squire. He was an actually. East Anglian squire. Yeah. Mm. In exactly the same way as, uh, as I say later in the book, uh, Washington was, was a Virginia squire. Yeah. Um, and, and they had totally different ideas mm. about how the world should be run. And well, young, young boys from the, you know, from the back streets didn't tend to rise to that. Height in an army, no. did they? Well, he, knew, well, he no. knew he was right because he knew he was he was one of the elect. I mean, he was at the period of <laughs> sort of this rank Protestantism, which was predestination. He'd been picked by God. He'd mm. been picked mm. by God. He'd been predestined for this position, mm. and he didn't like the Presbyterians because they were too elitist and and and, and too <sighs> oligarchical. But they were chapel. <laughs> no, 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 no. They, no, no, no. They, in fact, no. They were on the right of the. Of the sort of highly Protestant England of his day, I mean, no, he was he was sort of he believed in independence, which was sort of called congregate. He was congregationalist basically, yes. uh, and sort of equality among the leaders of the church. But certainly, he was very much an oligarch. He was very much he was, the the ruling class were the people who should rule. Not the aristocracy, mm. though, now the gentry. Okay. But he had actually quite a sort of yobbo sense of humour. For example, mm. when he was trying to persuade the other commissioners to sign uh, Charles I's death warrant, he flicked ink at them <laughs> to, get, to sort of get yeah. them fired up. Did he, he really want flicked Charles? Flicked ink at them. Mm. And wasn't he mm. rather this reluctant for Charles to be executed? Cruel necessity. Yes. yes. Mm. He was reluctant, yeah. though, wasn't he? Well, he regarded Charles as a man of blood. for, yes. for Because he'd started the Second Civil War. Started the Second Civil War. Yes. Yeah. 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 And therefore yeah. he deserved When did he start? I mean, you know, this thing, he got God terribly badly, obviously. A lot of people did. Yes, people but where did, did, did he start? Did he go to, would that have come from a school? No, I think he started it as a, as a, as a, a mature man in his sort of 30s. Oh, right. say, the church, great. remember, the Anglican church was, was very heavily divided at the beginning of the 17th century. There, were, there was a counter-reformation going on led by Lord, and mm. against that there, were very strong, there was a Puritan reaction. Yeah. So there was a great ideological divide in the church. Yes. OK. Listen, uh, we're a bit more than halfway through the programme. You're listening to a special edition of the Set Back Round Table on BFBS Radio. Today we're looking at famous speeches and the leaders who made them. Still with me in the studio is Professor Eric Grove, Dr Martin McCauley, Christopher Walker and Julian Thompson. If you've missed any so far, you can podcast SITREP or listen again. Simply visit bfbs.com forward slash SITREP. But I bet you know that. Um, I think the thing I was very particularly surprised was uh, Frederick the Great. Um, it, it, it strikes me that Frederick the Great was someone that we didn't much care about in this country. We didn't bother about him very much. But he was a superb, superb soldier, wasn't he? A superb leader. He was a very good soldier, but we did bother about him to the extent that he, we were quite often on his side. Yes. Or, he was, was actually our instrument he was in our instrument. Europe. And, yes. Uh, uh, rarely, wasn't he? And yes, he, was, he was absolutely ruthless. He was the yes. type of leader who had no moral compunction, hmm. and he would do anything to win. But in the end, he was very, very lucky, because in 1762, Elizabeth, his great enemy in Russia, died, uh, was preparing to attack Prussia. Hmm. And who knows what have happened, hmm. uh, would have happened to hmm. European history. And British monarchy. Had, had the Russians taken Berlin and taken Prussia. And, of course, Hitler was a great admirer of Frederick. Yes. When Roosevelt died... He says, ah, this is Elizabeth of, uh, of Russia dying second time round. This is going to mean the, the turnaround in the war, didn't mm. he? Mm. 
Um, Can I be very ordinary in saying that it was, it was, this was the man that uh, said, don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes? Okay. No push no. of... Wasn't no it? firing. He said, by push of bayonets, no firing until you see the whites of their eyes. Yes, I didn't know that. I mean, I thought that was, I thought that was a sort of um, uh, Victorian yes. or, or something Prague. like that. Because something that we would have thought of earlier that uh, Julian pointed out was that Veni Vidi Vici, mm. yeah. everybody thought was when Caesar got to Britain. Mm. That's right. It, no, it's not. It wasn't not. at all. It was uh, Pontus. Yes, yeah, somewhere entirely somewhere uh, different. Turkey. Mm. Also, and rascals, would you live forever? forever. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder if this possibly is who's, a result of the German influence. Frederick the Great. Mm. Th this was an influence of von Steuben on the American army. Yeah. Because I think these are terms that have come into English via 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 the United States. And sure. remember. It, it was Germans who drilled, or one German in particular, who drilled the American army at Valley Forge and gave them a lot of German characteristics, where they still march is vaguely Germanic, yes. etc. And, and I wonder if those terms came into the English vocabulary by that route. It's just a, it's just a hypothesis. I think it might work. Mm. I think they might work on. It's a very interesting point that you raise, that the Germans trained the Americans. There's still some Germanic trait you can see in the American army to this day, mm. actually. I, th I like the I like the idea that uh, much later, uh, certainly Napoleon um, uh, admired him, and after the Battle of Jena in 1806, mm -hmm. yep. something like that, um, he he said he looked at um, uh, Frederick the Great's tomb, I suppose, tombstone. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and he true. said yep. if he were alive, we would not be here in Prussia. I suppose that was the the, 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 the way he was. But Jena, Jena's not in Prussia. Uh, it's further down, but uh, he was quite right because Napoleon uh, recognised that uh, he was another leader. He recognised that the further you go into Prussia, further you go into Germany, uh, the German states, and into Russia, uh, the more difficult it becomes. Mm. And it really like Julius Caesar, you will unite the natives against you. And Napoleon was aware of that, but he still carried on. And of course, he made the catastrophic mistake of invading Russia. Mm. Mm. Right. right. What about? Um, George Washington. Oh. Do you mind us leaping to George Washington? Mm. Um, I brought him in in a way, didn't I, actually? <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> about the Americans and the yeah, Germans exactly. trading well, his you army. Did. Yes, you yes. did. Um, what do we make of, um, you know, the things that George Washington said? I mean, I, you know, like every schoolboy, I was brought up with, you know, about chopping the apple chopping tree down. Chopping trees down. Chopping trees down. So you can't lie. It shows yeah. this very interesting contrast that, in fact, he didn't think much of his army, but he mm. did manage to inspire it. He did. And George mm. Washington was the original soldier monkey because he was a, uh, a militia soldier against the French in, in the Seven Years' War and applied for a commission in the British Army and was turned down. And I sometimes right. wonder if that if he was, had to be. Would, was you know, <laughs> part of his make-up, why he went the way he did. Uh, yes. Tell me something about... Um, he, was, he was driving an army which at first didn't think it could do very much, couldn't do... Um, uh, couldn't couldn't win, but had a very 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 sound uh, reason for, if you like, with the, with the young patriots for going to war, and that was that he felt there was a crime being committed by London, and that was you were saying you wanted taxes, but you mm. won't let us have any representation, yeah. and it's. It's it's the Tocqueville, isn't it, saying that after a time, men who feel there's a grievance that can be fixed will go out and fix it, i.e. modern terrorism okay. is exactly what we've got today. But he wasn't necessarily the person that recognised that, was he? No, he, he wanted to have a, a, 
um, a regular army, which modelled on the British army. Mm. He was striving mm. to do that all the time. He was he wasn't for guerrilla warfare or any of that. He was he was for having an army that fought in exactly the same way as he'd been taught by the and British. The, and there were and other he was very aristocratic. He was. Oh, and there he were other factors rich. too. I mean, after all, there was even talk then of Britain abolishing slavery, and you could never have that, could you? No. And he was a slave owner, mm. of course. Mm. And and Washington all the time he. He actually hardly ever won any battles. His, his greatest one was when he crossed, crossed the Delaware and, and caught mm. some Germans by surprise on Christmas Day, and that was one of perhaps his greatest moments. But a lot of the fighting uh, in that war was done by the French. Exactly. And, and indeed, at, at uh, Yorktown, yes. the French outnumbered the, the Americans. Yes. And, as, and the Navy. As Julian points out, it's the, it's the, it, it's that, it's a, it's the French naval victory which... Which, which leads to the leads defeat. Leads to defeat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, we, George Washington, we know, is, is a figure, and we would probably recognise if we were in America, we'd recognise him in a statue or a painting or, or whatever. But I can't think mm. of a single thing he said that would inspire me. No, but when you've left your name on a city like that, yes. you don't have to have said very much, you haven't, do you? you haven't. Yes, I mean, he did say some quite inspiring on, things. Then. For example, my brave fellows, you've done all I asked you to do, and more than you could be reasonably expected. But your country's at stake, your wives, your houses, and all you hold dear. So here he is talking to, 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 the, to the army, saying, come on, stick it, chaps, because... This is what's at stake. Mm. Again, you're on the defensive. Yeah, he's on the defensive. He comes out with a Indeed. great speech. Yeah, but, uh, but do... equally, he's quite rude about them. That isn't quite up to I dare say our men would fight very well if properly officered, yeah. though they are an exceedingly dirty and nasty people. He didn't seem to say <laughs> that. Not he a... didn't say that publicly. He didn't say that publicly. <laughs> I mean, so that's what he thought, because this is a Virginia aristocrat exactly. talking, yeah. and that's what he, that's, you know, what he was. I'd love to see what I heard what his accent was like. Yeah, but, and he, yeah. you see, it was, it was... George III <coughs> paid him his greatest compliment when, when he said he was the, the most remarkable man of his age, and he wasn't talking about him mm. as a general. He was saying that mm. because he refused to run third t for a third time as, as president. Has he well, ever featured in any sort of famous uh, Hollywood American movies, or is he, he the man in the shadows? He tends to be sort of above that. He's he tends such, to be above he's it. so much the father figure. Yeah. Yes. No, that, that's true. You, uh, you, oh, you mentioned how he talked. Uh, the best dramatic uh, exposition I saw on television about... 45, 50 years ago. And what? he got his accent quite correctly, I thought. He spoke virtually English, but he would said, in the universal experience of mankind that no, that no nation... He, with the, it was vague southern accent. He, yeah, yeah, that's he what probably I thought had. Yes. Yeah. Our, our thought. Yeah. Our right, thought. Yeah. Yeah. I want to move on. We Give haven't got long. Part. <laughs> we haven't got long. Um, uh, Martin, what about your Russians? Suvorov. Suvorov. He is an icon, and today there's the order of, of Suvorov, who was under Stalin and went... Never lost a battle. Never lost a battle. Uh, Where are we talking about? 1780s, 90s? Yes, oh. 1780s, 1790s, and so on. And he's held up uh, as a great military leader, like Kutuzov. Even though Kutuzov more or less lost the battle of Baradino, uh, but Kutuzov, because of war and peace, uh, is in every Russian's mind. But Suvorov is above all of them. Mm. And he was the first one to be given the title Generalissimo. What's that mean? Uh, the most, this is most general, mm. and Stalin, it's Italian, isn't it? Sorry, it comes from Latin, actually. <laughs> yes, in generalism, yeah. the most general, the isimus, generalism, yes. and Stalin, 
I think in 1943, yes, he, did, he yes, said, I'm a generalissimo, because he was thinking of Suvorov. Am I not right, Martin, to say that even in the, the Soviet days, he was the only czarist general who it was permissible to have a picture of in your office in, 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 yeah, maybe in so, the Soviet Army? Kutuzov also had that. Yeah, uh, yeah. And yeah. I think you go from the time when the Red Army goes back to uh, uh, insignia, uh, uh, epaulets and Trump ranks board. and so on, and then they all come back. Yeah, uh, that's the late, late 30s. I thought it is it, rather, rather good, a good bit of generalship, and he, and mm. perhaps why he didn't lose anything. He said that time, time is the is the most important thing. And if you if you learn how to use time, then you mm. probably will He's, have an advantage. He has something we can come on with a lot of Russian generals. They're brilliant engineers. Mm. If you look at the campaigns in the Caucasus in the 19th century and how they got their artillery, it's absolutely amazing. But uh, there's a whole range of uh, Russian generals who are. In fact, brilliant engineer, but of course the speeches are not recorded. Sure. Um, say, no. When we come to Stalin, Stalin made sure that Zhukov yeah. uh, didn't outshine yeah. him. I always love the answer. Anyway. The answer to Zhukov. Uh, he hated people who said, I don't know. And he asks a sergeant, um, how far is it to the moon? And the sergeant thinks for a bit and then says, for Suvorov, two campaigns. That's a pretty good answer. Brilliant answer. Absolutely brilliant answer. I want to jump ahead. Um, and I want to jump ahead to Wellington because I think something he did say is so important now. You know, uh, we had people during the, the crunchy credit thing in uh, earlier this year, and they were saying, oh, quoting Roosevelt, the only thing that we have to fear is fear itself. Yes. Um, it's Wellington, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. The only thing I am afraid of is it's fear. fear. <laughs> yes. Yes. Mm. When did he say it? Why? Do you remember? He said it. Um, it I think he said it in India. It was in India. Sure it was India. It. it was in India, where he yes. had some. He he carried out before the siege of Seringapatam. He carried out a night attack, which was a total failure. Which from then on he didn't like night attacks, <laughs> um, and and that taught him several things. Uh, including, don't be, uh, you know, feared, uh, uh, afraid of fear. Yeah. Then, of course, he wins what he reckons is his greatest battle, a say, uh, mm. in a, a few years later mm. in India. I mm. noticed just by, without taking absolute notes, that it's uh, it seemed to be many more pages of your book devoted to him than anybody else, except Churchill. Uh, except Churchill, and I wondered if that was because there was so much accessible as to what he'd said, yes, or that he said so much that was memorable. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot that's memorable, and, and there's a lot, because he, he's, he's got a, some, a lovely, wry way of uh, speaking, like when uh, a major requests leave to save his fiancée's heart from breaking, and he says, we read occasionally of desperate cases of this description, and I cannot say I'd have ever known a young lady dying of love. They continue in some manner to live and live tolerably well. <laughs> <laughs> and also, he was good at sound bites, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he was good at sound bites. Good at bites. <laughs> very brief, sort of, uh, to the point. Um, brief and to the point, so I'm afraid we're getting at sort of a yeah. stage here. Um, I'm not going to bother about... I was going to talk about Napoleon, but... Um, he, you didn't he, regard him very highly, did you? Well, I never have regarded Napoleon as, a, as the most brilliant... Uh, as, well, the knapsack mm. stuff. But he said one of the most surely memorable <clears throat> phrases... Go on. Give them a, I gave them a whiff of grape shot. <coughs> yes. yes. That was the French Revolution. That was how he did it. Crowd control. Early man got himself to the top by ingratiating himself with, the with a revolutionary boss. But yes, but I always reckoned <coughs> that for somebody who was such a huge success, mm. the most wonderful artillery uh, officer, mm. uh, because he, he then thought ahead, if you like, um, there is, there is 
not a great deal that we we associate with. He with, saved with it Napoleon. all to Josephine. And, and also, also, he didn't know where to stop. <coughs> yes, he stopped. He failed. the same problem as Caesar. You, you start a war, and then you start, and then uh, they're defeated, but then they'll come again, and then they'll attack you again, and they'll retreat and go on. And, of course, he, he went on to Moscow. But uh, I've been influenced by Napoleon because the professor of history of the Sabon, when I was there, he hated Napoleon. And you had... He's French. Had, He's a French, yeah, French yeah. professor. And it was diatribe after diatribe against Napoleon, every aspect of Napoleon. And I can still remember him hammering away. So uh, the French are very, very seriously divided about Napoleon. But, but he was a great... He broke the royalist power. That's the most important thing. But then, of course, you can blame... Perhaps uh, you can blame him for the uh, many of the aspects of the French Revolution. But, of course, he then uh, got himself into a situation where... Uh, as you say, he didn't know where to stop, and, and when he went to Russia, the Russians were too clever for him because they just retreated, oh. and he thought he could nail them. He thought. The, uh, but in contemporary uh, France, you know, today, hmm. President Nicolas Sarkozy is depicted in a marvelous sort of <coughs> collection of cartoon books that are run as Napoleon, Napoleon yes, <laughs> and which is exactly what you were saying. Not altogether a popular man. No, domestically, <laughs> it was a great success in many ways, but the trouble was this overweening ambition to conquer as much yeah, as possible. Exactly. So we're putting him down. Alexander was the first who went too far. Caesar, Caesar, then Caesar, Caesar then Napoleon. Then, yeah. yeah. All Listen, great military men. Okay. Let, let, talking about great military men, but talking about France, um, let's go jump right to Haig, Field Marshal Sir Douglas Haig. Um, he... Whose son died this week. Yeah. Yep. And gave an extraordinary... Well, there was an extraordinary obituary about him, saying that, you know, his whole life had been in a yeah. mental breakdown because yeah. of what his father had done. And Tell me, um, we, I just feel he ought to have said uh, quite a lot of things. I mean, if it, for people who don't quite remember, um, Douglas Haig, uh, Field Marshal Sir Douglas Haig, always associated with uh, the Great War, First World War, and there are those people... The British people... Army's finest hour, in yes. my opinion. Yes. yes, well, there you are. You've got people who, who, who will say... He, the man is much maligned. Uh, led are, by donkeys? Yes, etc. Et Which only goes to show this, the superficiality of that book. Yes, sure. Yes, absolutely. But, but we also have um, this, this marvellous quote from him, which I feel that he ought to have said... It's pure blackadder, frankly. <laughs> there is no other course open to us but to fight it out. Right. It's a sort of blackadder speech when he's staying there and saying, well, oh, chaps, you know, it, it's about time you no, went over the top. that's hour. Sorry, it, 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 it is. This is this, I knew this, I shouldn't have said this is, it. This is when the Germans are advancing. There is a possibility mm. of a major defeat, possibly a retreat to the coast, a la 1940, and he's trying to get his troops together. This is 1918. This is, this oh. is, this is in, in 1918, and I think it's, I think it's very well put, well, and I think it had some effect. For what went earlier, though? Um, no. Yes. The Battle of the Somme? Destroying or... large numbers of German troops at yeah. the Battle of the Somme no. and at, and at 30. He's not responsible. What's wrong he with that? that? Well, he didn't <laughs> the, man who's responsible, the man who's yeah. responsible is Lloyd George, who denies him the reinforcements the re that he needs that he to needs. hold the line. Exactly. And, then, and, and so he's thin Without on the, the ground. Without the casualties in 1916 and 1917, the Germans might have won. I it's think, all part I of a I think Eric, as a Navy man, is deliberately setting up Haig as a great soldier. No, he was a great soldier. I think. M most I do, decent I think military so. historians argue that now. Yeah, they do. Can I jump... I mean, I'm, gentlemen, I'm, I'm sorry about this, um, because we really ought to be talking about um, 
Uh, you mentioned it right at the beginning, I think. Uh, Lloyd Williams, the United States Marine Corps, 1918, same time as yes, Haig. That's, that's, that's brilliant. brilliant. Retreat, hell, we just got here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the best. <laughs> I mean, that is John yeah. Wayne. Yeah. yeah. Pure, pure John Wayne. Um, Churchill, everybody's quotable leader. Um, but the most interesting thing to me is that he believed, he was believed by civilians as well as by I'm, the service I, people. I'm so pleased, actually, that, that Julian published that speech in full because everybody remembers the last bit, what? the finest hour yeah, yeah. bit. This will be their finest hour. But actually, yeah. it's a very interesting speech saying how all of the armed forces have a role and he actually says that the main thing that's going to stop the Germans crossing the channel is the Navy. We exactly. do have a Navy. We yeah. often forget it. And that is, certainly has a resonance today. Sure. We haven't got much time. <laughs> when have we? Um, but I would like to just put a question to because we. I wanted to finish on Lieutenant uh, Colonel Tim Collins' speech on the 19th of March 2003, and I will look for it very quickly. Just find Monty, Walter Walker. Page 194. Right. I, I just want to go through it very, uh, say something very quickly uh, about it. It's when. Um, it's, it's about being magnanimous in, 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 in victory. It's a, it's, it's a question to him of actually doing it right. This is warfare, but do it right. And yeah, do it right absolutely. by everybody. Do it right by the enemy as well as your own standards. The, the key is uh, you're there to liberate the Iraqis. You're not there to conquer. Exactly. And the, the key, key is important. also that he made this speech. This was written for him by Shakespeare. He made it. Yes. And it was and taken that, down word for word by, by someone. Absolutely. So we know that's exactly what he's saying. And, you see, that's why I want to know in the, in the last two minutes. I really do want to know. Uh, today, the commanders have to say they, what they say. They become headlines, don't they? Uh, sometimes, as they speak, television, oh. internet, etc. I wonder if that has diminished somehow, Julian, your feelings after going through all these characters, has diminished the, the, the dramatic role of the commander? No, I don't think it is, because he's talking to his soldiers. He's not talking to the nation. Mm. The fact mm. that the, the media have reported it is just the fact that there happened to be a journalist around. But he's talking. He's not talking to the journalists. He's talking to his soldiers, and he's warning them about what might happen. They might die. He's telling them how to behave, and he's giving them some points mm. to march on. Was Alexander the start at the beginning? Of the yeah, book. his speech was taken down and yeah by somebody. By and somebody passed on. But but know? the fact is here. I I think it's a very good speech, and and, and I disagree with the, the the criticisms I've heard since. In incidentally, from people from his own regiment, who are saying he's sort of putting the troops off by saying you might die. That's quite wrong. I mean, all the people that I admire have said to their troops. Mm. It's not going to be easy. Mm. Sadly, that's true. Absolutely, it's right. not going to be easy. And you might and die. And they've said ruthlessly that they will act ruthlessly on their behalf. They can't. You can't paint war as a sort of no. tea party. No. You get the other extreme in the German army uh, after about 1941, where it's your duty to die. Yeah, you have this. This is Japanese. And we have that Japanese. Japanese people here. Japanese, don't we? Yeah. 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 yeah, I want to ask you, Julian, um, the great speeches of the commanders. Pick, first off, very shortly, pick one out for me. Well, one of my favourites is from, from James Hill, who commanded the 3rd Parachute Brigade in Normandy, and he lined up his brigade and said, Gentlemen, do not be dismayed if chaos reigns, it undoubtedly will. Yeah, yeah. exactly uh, right. And so he's yeah. warning them 
th that this is going to happen. The fog of He's war. He's not saying to them, you know, it's going to be a picnic. <clears throat> it's going to be marvellous. Mm. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to know is when you, in your various commands, and I think I was associated immediately with you, uh, command of three brigade during Falklands in 82, what did you write? What did you say? I said to my people, this will not be a picnic. Hence the title of your book. Hence the title of my but book. But also, see what the, the last fascinating remark he makes in the book, that uh, Br uh, British soldiers talks about their devotion to duty and professionalism, did their best to make up for the incompetence and mendacity of their political leaders. They continue to do so to this day. There's um, always this... And that was <coughs> Julian <coughs> speaking. Yes. I thought for a moment... I didn't remember Lieutenant Colin <laughs> no, saying no, that. Then suddenly say I saw the quote marks had disappeared. But it was a very, very good comment. On Why that. is there always yeah. this great tension between uh, the military and the politicians? It's everywhere. It's not attention. It's what we all believe. We're going, that's it. <laughs> a call to arms, all from Julian Thompson's book of the name, worth 15 quid. If you can't find it, email me here, sitrep at bfbs.com, and I'll send you full details. I will, won't you? Uh, if you want to listen again or podcast this programme, visit bfbs.com forward slash sitrep. OK? I'm Christopher Lee. You know who's been here. Mary's still in the hut. <laughs>